Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Our text today is found in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse uh, 17, so I encourage you to uh, find a Bible in front of you, follow along on the screen, or if you have your phone or tablet with you, you can find it there. Uh, But Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 17, uh, says this, Now he went down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Now those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people, uh, people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Now, right at the start, this passage may sound familiar because it's actually very similar to a well-known passage in the Gospel of Matthew that's known as the Beatitudes. Uh, And while similar in many respects, uh, Luke's version of these Beatitudes are actually quite unique. Uh, For starters, Matthew tends to to, uh, spiritualize these conditions. In other words, Matthew says, blessed are the poor who are in spirit, or poor in spirit. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, And so he takes the poverty and the hunger and he spiritualizes it. Uh, But for Luke, he doesn't do this. Uh, For Luke, poverty is not a condition of the heart, but a financial position. Uh, For Luke, hunger isn't something that you long to happen, but rather it's a growling in your stomach. And this typical focus on the physical condition of people is typical for Luke's gospel. In fact, a common theme throughout the gospel of Luke is the impact that the good news of Jesus Christ will have on the poor. And then the second major difference that in Luke's version rather than Matthew's version is he includes a whole section of uh, woes to go along with the blessings. Uh, This is something that Matthew doesn't do at all. Uh, And so we have before us these blessings and these what he calls woes. Uh, Now the inclusion of of woes along with the blessings should call to mind the blessings and curses uh, that are found in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 26 through 28 which says, see I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord that I am giving to you today and the curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and churn from the way that I have commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. Uh, now, to give you just a little bit of context, uh, it was typical in the ancient Near Eastern culture, anytime that a covenant was being entered into, for there to be pronouncement of blessings and curses. Uh, it was standard for all covenants. 
and, and so they would say, first they would enter into an agreement, the outlines of that agreement would all be made and agreed upon, and then they would go through this whole 10-step ceremony in order to enter into the covenant. And, and part of that ceremony what was, it was a step in that uh, process called the pronouncement of blessings and curses. Uh, and it would go something like this, blessed are you and your family and your possessions, your uh, cattle, your fields, all these things. Blessed are all of these things if you obey the rules that are outlined in this covenant. Uh, and that was the fun part. Uh, but, but then it was, uh, the opposite was also true. On the other hand, it was the pronouncement of curses. Cursed are you if you, your family, your possession, cursed are, are your uh, fields and your cattle and your livestock if you fail to obey the rules of this commandment or this covenant. So in the Old Testament, what we have is these blessings and these curses, in, when entered into covenant, they were contingent upon behavior. And so whether you lived blessed or whether you lived cursed depended on your ability to follow the rules. This is pretty intense stuff, right? Uh, but what Jesus is doing here is rather than giving the, sort of the Old Testament uh, covenant, he's actually outlining a new covenant. Uh, and, and then under the new covenant, uh, here he's saying that the blessings and the woe have no contingency upon behavior, but rather are proclamations of life inside and outside of the kingdom of God. Uh, now, I want to make a couple of small notes here. The phrase, the kingdom of God, is properly understood as the reign or the rule of God. Uh, it's what the world looks like when God's will is perfectly accomplished and perfectly carried out. Uh, and so the kingdom of God is less a way of talking about the afterlife and more of an arrangement of life here and now. Does that make sense? Uh, so the kingdom of God is less a way of talking about the afterlife and more an arrangement of life here and now. Uh, it's also important to understand that the kingdom of God is not a way of talking about the collection of believers around the world, uh, but that rather is the, the, called the church. So what the kingdom of God is, is, is what the world looks like under the perfect rule of God when his will is carried out perfectly. That's the kingdom of God. So it's the same as the reign of God or the rule of God. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray, as we do every week at the end of our prayers of the people, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that praying for his kingdom to come on earth is the same as praying that God's will would be accomplished in this situation, in this place, and all of these kinds of things. The second thing when I want to point out is then to begin to ask a question, then how are we to understand this pronouncement of blessings and woes? Uh, some of you, as you got ready to drive to church this morning, had to decide which of the cars to drive that were in your garage. Uh, some even stopped to get a latte that likely cost four to six dollars. Uh, we read this passage from maybe the computers that are on our, in our pockets, right? Uh, and, and so when we talk about kind of woes to those who are rich, this should have, we should be uncomfortable with this, right? Uh, but again, if, if Luke isn't spiritualizing these conditions, but pronouncing blessings on those who are poor and hungry and rejected and weeping and woes to those who are rich, well-fed, accepted and laughing, then how are we to hear this word this morning? Is it a word of woe or is it to be a word of blessing and of hope? How are we to understand this? 
Uh, well, Luke doesn't paint uh, either of these conditions as virtuous in and of themselves, uh, but rather uses these very real conditions to teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God. And so, in other words, Luke is saying there isn't anything particularly virtuous about being in a state of uh, poverty, uh, but rather he's giving the good news that where injustice rules uh, or injustice is having its way, then the coming reign of God is good news for those who find themselves hungry, sad, or marginalized because in the coming rule and reign of God, there, those, um, those fortunes will be reversed. In other words, the reign of God or the kingdom of God is good news for those who find themselves in positions just like that. Similarly, he wants to say to us that there isn't anything inherently wrong with being rich, but, and there's always a but, right? But the rich will have to accept the reign of God and the arrangement that comes with it, or they will experience all of their reward under the current system and find their situation reversed with the coming of God's kingdom. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, many scholars and theologians have referred to this as the great reversal, that for Luke, the Gospel writer, the kingdom of God has a direct impact on those who find themselves in these, these uh, situations of blessing, right? And this is particularly hard, um, because those who might fall into the category of rich have benefited from the way things are and may not like any change that doesn't further benefit them. In fact, verses 22 and 23 are interesting. Jesus is essentially saying that those who hate the disciples of Jesus, those who insult or reject them, are doing so because their fathers, or that is their ancestors, treated the prophets of God in the same way. And so the implication is that the message of the prophets would often disrupt the status quo and made those who were rich or those who were in power uncomfortable. And, as, and because they were uncomfortable, they would often insult and reject the prophet of God because the prophet of God was speaking truth to power. And if it was, if it was disrupting the status quo or disrupting the systems that benefited me, then I'm going to then reject the messenger or the prophet. But in the same way, I, I kind of sense this softness in Jesus' voice. Essentially saying that those who hate you or call you a heretic are doing so because that's what they saw their fathers doing to those who were speaking the truth of God, those prophets. That there's this soft pastoral care kind of tone to the message of Jesus. And perhaps what, what we need to understand is that, in other words, some people won't perceive the reign of God as good news because it will benefit people other than themselves. And so this morning, I want to remind us again that Luke doesn't spiritualize these conditions, but, but rather he is talking to those who are actually physically, tangibly poor, hungry, weeping, and rejected. And I think that these, uh, some, to some degree or another, are conditions that all of us can identify with. In other words, you don't have to check off all of the boxes on this list in order to receive God's blessing. That you might be rich, but also be rejected or feel rejected. That you may be well-fed, but, but weeping. That you may be accepted, but hungry. That any one of these conditions, as we find ourselves living there, overwhelmed with, with despair and find ourselves weeping, overwhelmed with a feeling of, of 
non-acceptance and being rejected by a community, then the good news this morning is that if you find yourself in any of these positions, take heart, for the kingdom of God is breaking in. that with the kingdom of God is breaking in, that with the message and the life and the ministry of Jesus, you'll begin to find yourself move from lack to abundance. You'll find that your hunger will be satisfied. You'll find that your weeping is turned into laughter, that your rejection reversed into welcome in the kingdom of God. In fact, I just, I believe that that is so important for us to realize that in moments where we might feel dejected and rejected, that the good news of Jesus Christ is that we find welcome in the kingdom of God. That in Christ we find one who loves us without condition. And so for Luke, the kingdom of God is all about this great reversal, this this upside down or shall we say right side up kind of kingdom. Uh, Well, you know me and how I love the theologian and author N.T. Wright, and so it's been a while since I've quoted him, so let's have another one, shall we? Uh, Here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, God is doing something quite new. As Jesus has emphasized in the synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4, he is fulfilling his promises at last, and this will mean good news for all the people who haven't had any in a really long time. That Jesus is coming in on the scene and he's saying, I'm going to start fulfilling my promises. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The rule of God, the reign of God is, is infiltrating the bad news of the world. And that's going to mean good news for those who haven't had any for a very long time. And so if you're here this morning and you just feel like you haven't had any good news for a long time, then the good news today is the kingdom of God is breaking in. But maybe you're here today and you find yourself pretty well off, not wondering where your next meal is coming from. You're well fed, you're laughing, you're a person of good reputation. I want you to hear today that God isn't unhappy with your condition. (laughs) That's not how we should take this text. Uh, We shouldn't say, oh, God is unhappy with that, but rather... We should see that this text invites us to the realization that the good news of the reign of God will mean changes to structures that benefit us and not others. I'll say that again, that the good news of the reign of God will mean changes to the structures that benefit us and not others. And this can be a hard pill to swallow. Uh, Consider this. uh, It's a... I don't know how many of you are baseball fans. I certainly am. And so I had a great week because spring training started this week. That means that baseball is right around the corner. It also means that warmer weather is right around the corner. So I think I can get somebody to get behind me on that, right? Uh, so, So spring training started this week. So consider this. Consider a crowd that's watching a baseball game. And around the playing field is a solid wood fence that stands four feet high. Now the fence is there and it serves a good purpose. But it prevents those without grandstands around the field. It prevents those uh, around, outside of the field to see the game. Uh, even though the structure s- serves a good purpose, uh, those who are not four feet tall are unable to see or to participate. Now, those over four feet tall uh, describe the world as they see it. 
Uh, but to those staring at the fence, the world that they have described simply is unfamiliar or just doesn't exist. In order to solve the problem, everyone is given a crate on which they can stand. And this benefits the taller people for sure. Their vantage point is now higher and their view even better. But the shorter person may be able to see now with the crate small bits of the game, but largely are still looking at a structure that prevents them from viewing the game. Now, admittedly, this illustration isn't perfect, uh, but the point is, is that with the reign of God and the justice that comes with it, it removes the structures that disadvantages and marginalizes people. Does that make sense? That with the reign of God and the justice that comes with it, the very structures that marginalize and disadvantage people are done away with. And this dif the difficulty is, is that this good news can be received as bad news if our hearts are bent on self-promotion. Let me say that again. The good news of Jesus Christ can be received as bad news if our hearts are bent on self-promotion. Luke himself, in this gospel that's all about this grand reversal, Luke himself begins to illustrate this with a couple of stories. Uh, he records a story of the, of the rich fool and then the rich man and Lazarus. In the parable of the rich fool, fool uh, a man has an abundance of grain, more than he can store in all of his barns. And now he has this, this issue, this problem of abundance, and doesn't know how to solve it. And so what he does is he says, in order to solve this problem, I'm going to tear down all of my barns and build up bigger ones so that I can store all of the excess. This way, he says, I'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Now Luke's obvious point is, is that if your barns are overflowing with grain, perhaps you have enough to share. And maybe the first response shouldn't be, to just tear those down and build bigger ones in order to store it. Luke tells another story in chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. He tells where Jesus is, is telling the story of a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man lives in luxury every day, while at his gate there lays a beggar named Lazarus. The rich man ignores Lazarus day after day after day, and after each of them die, uh, there, again, in this kind of reversal of fortunes, the rich man finds himself in agony while Lazarus uh, Lazarus's fortune is reversed, and now the rich man is begging at Lazarus's side. You see, Luke is uh, he's very pointed in his gospel. Uh, he isn't pulling any punches. Uh, he gets right to the point. Uh, and the point, at least of our particular text this morning, is this, that, that it's not that being rich or laughing or, or well-fed is bad. It's just that the point is, are we ready to accept the reign of God as good news for those who don't share in our same fortunes? And that's an important question. The point is, are we ready to accept that the reign of God is good news for those who may not share your same fortune? It's an important question. Well, if in fact we are ready to accept this reign of God, we must begin to work out what that looks like. Uh, and I would contend that uh, working out 
and trying to discover this, this kingdom of God, this rule of God, and what it looks like, it begins by recognizing the personal implications of the kingdom of God. It begins by recognizing the personal implications of the reign and the rule of God. And that is, we, we must begin at a place where we recognize that when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, I am forgiven and I am called a new creation. That, that, whatever, that whatever God is doing on a societal level or on a corporate level, whatever God is doing in the world for all of us begins with me. Paul himself says this, that, that those who are in Christ are a new creation. In other words, he, Paul is essentially saying that new creation begins with you. <laughs> That it begins in your own life and in your own heart as you recognize your forgiveness in Christ. That when you recognize that I am made new, that I am now under the rule and the reign of God, and the Spirit is now empowering me for right living, that this new creation, this new thing that God wants to do for all people is beginning in individuals. Are you with me? And so there's, yes, there's this kind of big picture of what God is doing, and Luke wants to make that very, very clear, but we can't go without this individual nature of what God is doing in us. And so if we're going to begin working out this kingdom of God thing, we must recognize that when we place our faith in Christ, our sin is forgiven, that the Spirit of God lives in us to empower us and guide us. And then that we are then called a new creation. And after that, it moves to an awareness of the things that need to change in light of my new identity in Christ, right? So I am a new creation, and then I kind of take stock of my own life and in my own heart. And are, are there anything that is disordered or out of place? Are there priorities that need to be shifted? Are there things that just need to be done away with? Do I recognize and confess the ways in which I have not contributed to human flourishing and dignity? And that maybe there are some things that I need to start doing. Maybe there are some things that I need to stop doing, right? You get what I'm saying, that that the rule and the reign of God is first begins in me. And then with our hearts transformed, we are then to help bring the good news to bear in the world through acts of generosity, care for the poor, justice for the oppressed, community to the lonely and rejected, and sharing in the tears of those who mourn. The, 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 the task of the church, the church, that is those who accept and proclaim God's reign, the task of the church is first to have our own hearts and lives transformed by Jesus, that we might begin to see the world through the lens of the reign of God, and then we might get to work to end systems that oppress or marginalize, provide community care for the poor, etc., etc., or a big picture to tangibly express that rule of God in the world. And here's the thing. A robust faith must have both. A robust faith must have both. If the focus is purely on ending systems of injustice, then we run the risk of making Jesus superfluous. If the focus is only on my personal change, then Jesus is reduced to a factor of my personal salvation. 
And you can't read the Gospel of Luke in its original context without recognizing that the Gospel of Jesus Christ has very social implications, right? But then you can't read Paul and and say that the Gospel is only social, that that there's all sorts of personal things that God wants to do in us and through us. And so here's what I want to say. Our personal encounter with Jesus must lead us into caring for the poor. Our concern for sinful systems will be aided by an awareness of personal sin and Jesus' forgiveness of it. Are you with me? So our personal encounter with Jesus must lead us into proclaiming the rule, the reign of God in those around us. But also, as we begin to recognize sort of the injustices and systems around us that aren't in line with God's will or how God would have it, then then that, that whole process is bolstered by, aided by, empowered by an awareness of my personal sin and Jesus' forgiveness of it. A robust faith must have both. And and here's what we do. As the church, the capital C church, uh, we we go in phases, right? Where it's kind of like all about the personal change and there's nothing going on. We we don't have any concern for like what Jesus' message has to say to the world. Uh, We just want to get souls saved into heaven. Uh, And then we say, oh, no, that's that's not the whole gospel. So we swing over here and it's just this, right? Probably guilty. (laughs) <laughs> as you hear me preach, right? And, and so the, the idea is, can we, can we kind of meet in the middle and recognize that this robust faith requires both? And so, so today, my, my invitation is, is twofold. That if we find ourselves really resonant with poverty, hunger, weeping, rejectedness, to rest in the hope that the good news of Jesus Christ means a reversal of those fortunes. But then if we find ourselves resonant with, well, by world standards, I'm rich. Maybe not according to my neighbors or that or that, or maybe by not other comparisons, but by world standards, I'm rich. And I'm well-fed. And I laugh regularly. And I'm a person of good reputation. And I invite you to just consider what this text invites us to consider, which is that the good news, the reign of God, isn't just about my own self-promotion, but that maybe there's some work that the Spirit wants to do to bring us to a place where we recognize the both and of Scripture. That there's, yes, a change in my life, but there's also something that God wants to say in terms of how the world is run. And let me end by saying this. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that I really believe does this well. Um, I regularly see evidence that together We are seeking to know and to understand and experience the Savior, Jesus Christ. On on a personal level, uh, in other words, when I look out on this community, I see people that certainly are, are at all different points in the journey, but I see those who are passionately seeking truth, who are chasing after Jesus, and seeing this spurs me on in my own journey of faith.
And then on the other hand, I, I just want to say that I'm so glad to be part of a church that cares about things like FFH and Renee's Hope and Advent Conspiracy. That when I see us participate uh, in, in game night at Parkwood Estates, month after month after month, and it's not a lot of you, but a handful of you so faithfully engage and go and love on seniors in our community who provide conversation and community and a meal to those who find themselves in a season of homelessness. And that, that's just kind of all the things that we do programmatically that doesn't even count all the different variety of ways that you all, spurred on by the Spirit of God, are helping to meet needs. And the stories are endless. And I, I just want to say that I am inspired by your level of generosity and graciousness toward others. That I see a community that is willing to step into the messiness of our world and bring good, no, good news to those who haven't had any in a very long time. And so I applaud you. And I spur you on to continue doing that good work. The second line in our mission statement is pursue Christ as King. And all of this that I've talked about, this, this chasing after Jesus on a personal level to see what difference he might make in my own life. And then this, this determination to embody the reign and the rule of God, the good news in the world. And the kingdom of God is also about pursuing what it means to live in that kingdom. And I see us doing both. And so my encouragement is, May we continue to pursue Christ as King together. Amen? Uh, let's say a word of prayer, and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this um, challenging word from the Gospel of Luke. And I pray, God, that um, as a result of this message that your word has been proclaimed. And Lord, if I'm in error in any way, would you um, just speak to our hearts that we might receive the truth. But God, if, um, if what I've spoken is in fact true, then I pray that it would find root in our hearts and in our minds, and that by your spirit you would work in our lives uh, so that we could respond to the word and maybe, God, today someone is in a place in their life where they just need to recognize that where they might per feel perpetually rejected, that they are accepted in you. That in Christ, there is no condition of love, but rather it is love that pours out freely. Or maybe, God, we're here today and our faith walk has just been all about me and Jesus. <laughs> with little sense of mission or proclamation of the kingdom of God in the world. I pray, God, that you would challenge us, spur us on, encourage us um, to faithfully embody the kingdom of God. And Lord, for, for your work in our lives, for the ways in which you encourage us and challenge us, 
we are thankful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.